Hello, and welcome to the Marotska Method podcast. I am your host, Adrienne Jezik. Here we get to talk about our personal growth and the ways we can express our vulnerability through authenticity. I create a space for my guests to share their experiences with deliberate cold exposure, and we talk about changing our health and our lives to focus on wellness. I share my journey and yours, focusing on mental, emotional, and physical health. Together, we face the challenges of growth through discomfort. Join us as we biohack our way towards a better life. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Adrian Jezek, and I am your host of the Morotsko Method podcast. I am excited to be here today with Kara Dunn. She and I had a conversation when we first met about her experience with disease and how she was led into the practice of deliberate cold exposure. Kara is now the owner of a forge, a Morotsko forge, and she has been practicing deliberate cold exposure on her own to help heal her body. Kara, welcome. Thank you so much for having me again. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm happy to continue this conversation. When Kara and I first began speaking, she was practicing deliberate cold exposure not on as regular of a basis as she would have liked. We understand moving through autoimmune, moving through cancer, moving through disease in the body that sometimes the greatest benefit with deliberate cold exposure is the frequency with which we practice. A daily practice is ideal. One of the greatest questions, one of the questions that I am asked most of all is, how often do I have to take an ice bath? to see results. And I say that it depends on what you're working on. What I've realized is, like I said, when you're working through disease, when you're working through autoimmune, when you're working through cancer, when you're working through PTSD, substance abuse, recovery, depression, anxiety, there are benefits to making this a part of your daily practice. It's passive. You show up, you sit down, you have instant results. I don't know of anything else still to this day, almost four years into my own practice that can provide that type of healing with that little amount of effort. Kara, do you remember what it was like when you first began deliberate cold exposure and why you decided that this was a healing practice that you wanted to add to your tool belt? Thank you, Adrienne, so much for having me on your podcast and for everything that you're doing to provide a means for people like me to have access to deliberate cold exposure and to heal. So thank you so much. I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. It all started the summer after my sophomore year of college. So it was the summer of 2018. I was 20 years old and I was traveling in Europe with one of my lifelong friends, Morgan. So we had plans to go back to France to visit some friends and we just decided to stop in Spain just to kind of explore and have some fun. So it was three days into our trip and our plane had just landed uh, from Barcelona to Sevilla, a city in Spain. And I noticed as soon as our plane landed that my vision felt like it was almost bouncing ever so slightly. And my mouth was numb as if I had been given dental anesthesia, even though I hadn't. And these symptoms were so off, but I just tried to, you know, wait it out, hope it would go away. And throughout the day, they got progressively worse. That night, we were walking to get gelato, and I was using my phone to direct us when I noticed that there was this colorful glow around my phone and around the lights on the streets. 
and I developed double vision. So the cracks in the cobblestone street began multiplying and I, there were two phones in front of me and I felt very out of it. So we made our way back to the Airbnb and I decided to just get ready for bed and hope that I could sleep it off. But when I washed my face that night, I got water in my eyes because I couldn't close them all the way and my face was starting to become paralyzed. The next morning I woke up with my head writhing with pain. It felt like a bomb had exploded inside of me. And I tried to stand up out of bed, but I immediately fell back onto the floor because my gait was completely off. I didn't have any coordination. So Morgan, my friend, was in the shower at the time. She got out and she was like, I'm going to take you to the hospital. So I told her to call a taxi, not an ambulance because it seemed too expensive. So she helped me struggle down three flights of stairs and into this taxi. And we made it to the ER and I waited there for about 12 hours for an MRI. So I started vomiting and my speech began to slur. And Morgan had called my mom and I was talking to uh, my brother, who's a medical student at the time, and my physician from home, Dr. Courtney Hunt, who's a very close friend and mentor of mine as well. So they were all talking back home and trying to figure out a diagnosis for me while the doctors in Spain were also trying to figure it out. Uh, my symptoms were so inconsistent with typical neurological illness, so it took a while to get a diagnosis. As the hours passed, um, it was probably about 12 or 14 hours, and all of my testing was coming back normal. I was admitted to the regular hospital floor there, and uh, my condition just continued to get worse. So it reached a point where I, my um, arms and legs became paralyzed, and I couldn't use my hands anymore. I was trying to talk, but my speech was very slurred because I had a very difficult time moving my tongue. Um, I was blinking my eyes with my hands. I had very uncoordinated use of them and um, I could not stop vomiting. So my entire body was becoming very weak and I kept falling asleep. And about 24 hours after I arrived at the hospital, my breathing started to fail. I started hyperventilating. It started slowly. And the nurses came in and told me, you know, calm down, calm down. You just have anxiety. You need to calm down. And um, But I knew that I didn't have anxiety. You know, I was surprisingly calm inside, which doesn't make sense hearing it. But I was so out of it that I was felt very calm. And um, so Morgan is a very, very good friend. And she was... Uh, talking to my brother, Ryan, and Dr. Hunt. They were both calling her separately, telling her what to do, how to handle it, how serious it was, how to talk to the nurses, all of that. So I could hear Morgan getting the nurses over and over and over again and them telling her to, you know, kind of leave them alone. They brushed her off thinking that I was perfectly fine. Um, and they were had been giving me benzodiazepines, which were making my respiratory system fail faster. So my breathing just continued to plummet. And um, I eventually was transferred over to the ICU and I could hear Morgan talking to my mom and Ryan on the phone and that those two were flying to Spain to be with me. So it's kind of like, oh shit, I guess this must be serious if they're coming all the way here to be with me. About 48 hours after I had first gotten to the hospital, I was finally diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a rare neurological condition in which the body attacks the peripheral nervous system. So if you think about that, that's pretty much any nerve besides your brain and spinal cord. Guillain-Barre syndrome can happen to pretty much anyone at any time. They know some of the common triggers can be um, like a flu vaccine or a viral illness in general. Um, and actually, they're finding a lot of cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome caused by COVID as well. 
I actually didn't have any of these things beforehand, so it's unclear how I got it. It was just very unlucky timing that I was in Spain when I did. They still don't think that that it was something that I had contracted in Spain. So I actually also had an overlap between classic Guillain-Barre syndrome and something called Miller-Fisher syndrome, which is a rare and even more rare variant of Guillain-Barre syndrome. Typically, you get one or the other, but I just had an overlap of the two of them. Uh, Miller-Fisher syndrome just affects the cranial nerves typically, so that's why it started in my face. Because I had that overlap, that's what prolonged the diagnosis process as well because classic Guillain-Barre syndrome typically starts in the feet and works its way up. So mine was just very backwards. Um, also, Guillain-Barre syndrome can typically take up to two weeks um, for onset and only about 30% of people are ventilated. So it can take two weeks to spread up from your feet. But mine was very, very quick. Um, it all happened within about 48 hours. As soon as I was diagnosed, I was given the typical treatment for Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is IVIG. So that was started about 48 hours after I uh, had first gotten to the hospital. I was given this treatment, which helped immensely. However, my respiratory system was already in the process of failing, and it took a while for the treatment to, to kick in and work. So um, I was hyperventilating. I had been for about 12 hours at this point and um, had just an oxygen mask, but my mom got there that night, which um, made everything so much better, but I just got to see her for about 30 minutes. They had very, very strict visiting hours in Spain, so I got to see her, and then that night, um, my respiratory system completely failed, so I stopped breathing, and I was intubated, but I was intubated a little bit after I had stopped breathing. So I had a near-death experience, uh, which is a whole nother story in and of itself. But I was then on a ventilator for four days. So my mom and my brother could come for three 30-minute sessions every day to be with me. And then the rest of the time, I was just by myself. But having them there made all the difference in the world because I knew they were there, even though I was, you know... Um, on the ventilator. So I was in Spain in the ICU for about two weeks total. So I was airlifted back to the United States to Barrow Neurological Institute where I had phenomenal therapists and a phenomenal physician who helped me to learn how to walk again and regain function of my hands and all of that. So I was there for about five or six weeks and by the time I left, I was still in a wheelchair and using a walker, but I was so much better. And I was just ready to go back to school. That had been my motivation through all of it, was to be able to go back to U of A in the fall and carry on with my plans and my timeline that I'd made for myself and just not skip a beat in that. I you know, pushed really hard, but I was not ready for all of the other effects that would come with having a condition like this. I was not ready for the extreme mental and physical fatigue, the nerve pain, the joint pain, muscle pain, all of that, um, and how much it would impact my life. That's where my journey with deliberate cold exposure really started was those lasting symptoms. And I, I first started with it as soon as I got out of Barrow, 
uh, Dr. Hunt recommended it to me to help with um, decreasing the inflammation, increasing mitochondrial density, and help with the nerve repair process. So I first started it uh, very soon after I was released from inpatient rehab, and I noticed how much of a difference it made. I'm very grateful to Dr. Hunt for showing me that, and very grateful to Adrian and everyone at Morosco Forge for making it possible for me to eventually get my own cold forge. Yes, I started shortly after I got sick with Guillain-Barre syndrome, so I still had some numbness in my body and a lot more pain than I do now. And I, when I went for the first time, it was shocking, as it is for everyone, to my body, but especially my feet. And I was a little hesitant to keep going, honestly, because of the pain that it was inflicting, but I noticed that after I got out of the cold tub, not only was it like a burst of energy, like drinking a coffee, but it had helped my pain. So that in and of itself got me hooked. So I started going a few times a week as much as I could. Um, I had to go to a facility that offered it and it was pretty far from my house. So when you're fatigued and you're sick, it's really hard to, to get there. Um, but I did, I kept going and I noticed that I could feel the sensation in my legs coming back faster. So that was a huge motivation for me in addition to the pain relief that it had provided. How long after beginning the practice before you started nose results, was it instant? Was it after your first ice bath or did it take a few? You know, I guess it's kind of a twofold answer. The pain relief was fairly immediate, but gaining that sensation back took quite a few times. But even that burst of energy was immediate. And I think that's also a huge part of why I kept going back because I struggled so much with energy. I would wake up and just automatically be fatigued and that's not something that I was used to. So that burst of energy to like get through my day, that was was immediate. And that's a huge motivator. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Will you share with our audience, even though we've touched on this already, exactly what you have, what your condition is? Yes, so I have a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome. So it's an autoimmune disorder that can pretty much happen to anyone at any time. And it's where your body starts attacking your nerves. So typically it'll start in the feet and work its way up and it can be pretty quick. I had an even more rare form of it. So I had something called Miller-Fisher syndrome overlapped with classic Guillain-Barre syndrome. So mine started in my face. So while I was in Spain over the course of about three days, I became completely paralyzed. So I've gained that function back. I've been working really hard to do that. And I'm very grateful for the providers that I've had in my life and the influences that I've had to do things like cold therapy and so many different things. So I am lucky in that I can walk. I can do pretty much everything that I've done before. And I'm still getting better and better. But there are some individuals with this condition who either die from the respiratory involvement and being on a ventilator or can't walk again. So I got very, very, very lucky in that I've had pretty much a full recovery. And you experienced that too, didn't you? Where you were, you couldn't, you didn't have the mobility. Right. So I was completely paralyzed for about two to three weeks. And then I was in a wheelchair for a little bit. So I was paralyzed from, from head to toe. Um, and then I was also on a ventilator for four days as well. 
And how old were you when this on when the onset came on? I was 20 years old. And how old are you now? 23. So this has been a journey. Yes. It's been absolutely. a several year long journey. Yes, absolutely. And through your practice of deliberate cold exposure, did you notice any type of changes to your emotional mindset or your mental mindset? Or was it mostly just physical? That's a really good question. Now that I think about it, I I have and I think in addition to, you know, the physical benefits, physical benefits in and of themselves will give me that emotional benefit as well just because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can have more energy now, like I'm getting better. So I think that it's really helped in that way. And I have noticed as well if I'm feeling anxious, I'll get in the cold tub and that'll help as well. So definitely that's really great. And when you are practicing in the forge, what is your practice? How often are you doing this? I go in, I try to go for every day, but I probably make it about five days a week, sometimes twice a day. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'll get in before work and after work, just depending on how I'm feeling as well. But I know that I crave the cold tub. So I will be out and about and I'm like, I really need to go home and just get in my cold tub because it is such a therapeutic experience for the pain, but also when I'm not having pain, just my energy levels, my overall well-being, I just notice that I feel so much better when I get out of it. That's fantastic. How cold do you keep your forge? I keep my forge at 55 degrees. And how long do you stay in? I typically stay in for 15 to 20 minutes each session. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, you know, one to three minutes or three to five minutes. So, so you're chilling. You're literally chilling in the forest. I am. And I used to go in longer when I was going to these other facilities. I would go up to an hour, um, but I've reduced my time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel Probably for efficiency's sake. Yes. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So we also talked a little bit about challenging your body and creating a little more resilience. Uh, Before we begin recording, I was sharing this with Kara that I recommend the colder temperatures. And the reason is because you start to get extreme metabolic benefits at colder temperatures and you activate the immune system. You activate so many more systems within the body through the colder temperatures. So what I recommend is reducing that by about a degree a week. And it's okay if you can't stay in there for 15 minutes. It will be fantastic if you get down to those colder temperatures, say around 35, and then you only need a three to five minute practice. So you're getting a little bit more of your life back. You're you're creating an environment that's a little more extreme and you're building more resilience. We don't have to start at 33 degrees. I start every client that I have at 32, 33 degrees, no matter what it is that they're working through, because I'm there as a guide. Kara is on her own. You're doing this on your own. And when we have people that start all by themselves and they start at 55 degrees, that is fantastic. Any amount of cold is a good amount of cold, any amount of cold, get it however you can get it. And if you have the opportunity to create this practice in a temperature controlled device, Reduce that temperature by one degree per week, just one. 
It doesn't have to be fast. It does not have to be a lot. And it can still have a great impact on your health and building that resiliency. Kara, do you go in up to your neck? I do. I have been keeping my hands out, mm-hmm. um, but going in up to my neck. We talked a little bit about I, I have Raynaud's disease, so that's why I keep my hands out. But we discussed, you know, trying to work towards fixing that by doing little bits of having my hands in and working mm-hmm. towards that. So that's definitely something that I'm going to try. Yeah, we have some experience. Uh, AJK, you can find her on Twitter at, at AJK. We also have some scientific journal articles on our website at moralscoforge.com where you can read all about how AJ has reversed her Raynaud's through the practice of deliberate cold exposure. And it can be uncomfortable. You will experience the numbness. You'll experience the tingling. Often people don't know that that's part of the practice. They think, oh, I'm feeling this tingling or this numbness. This must be bad. Is that what you think about it? Oh, absolutely. That's that's what I've experienced. And I guess given my history of a condition that causes numbness and tingling, I was very hesitant to keep to keep going with my hands and feet just because I was so scared of making it worse. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like by avoiding that, I'm not helping to fix the problem. And this is also part of why I had reduced my time in the tub is because I was experiencing that in the past Mm -hmm. with longer sessions. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So what do you do with your feet? Do you tuck your toes out? That's what Tom does. Mm -hmm. He like lets his toes kind of float. And I'm a little bit, a little bit Josh him for it. I'm like, Tom, come on now. Put your feet in. It helps. (laughs) We've got to practice it away. It's the only way. Um, I have neoprene socks that I wear. Okay. Um, in the winter, I found that the color was taking a lot longer to come back into my hands and feet. So mm-hmm. I put something in the bottom of my forge. I probably looked ridiculous because I had my hands out and like up to my ankles out and I had to sit on something in order to, to balance. Like a little booster? Oh yes, just like a booster. And I was like balancing in there. Um, but you got to do what you got to do to yeah. still get the cold in the winter. So Yeah, Absolutely. What would you say, what would you say is the most emotionally challenging part of moving through Guillain-Barre even before discovering the cold? The most challenging part was how it impacted my life from where I was before, because I have always been an incredibly type A person and I had a plan of, you know, applying for medical school, going straight through undergrad into medical school. I would fill my days with too many things, just like so many kids in college do. And so to not be able to do even a fourth of what I was doing before and seeing my friends move forward and then go on to grad school and, you know, finish college and be there. And I still finished college, but I had to do it online and from afar. So that whole aspect was almost like a, a challenge to my identity and what I thought of myself. Um, so that I've gone come through that, but it was very challenging at first. And it was hard to find people to relate to that were in that same situation. So I still was very close with all of my friends that I was friends with before. Thank God they've been so supportive, all of them. But that's just something that I had to go through on my own. And I am definitely stronger for it. I have a better sense of my own identity that doesn't just root in school. Have you changed the way that you approach things because of that? In terms of? In terms of life. Are you still meeting everything with full force and gusto? Has it helped you develop a practice of slowing down a little bit? Like, have you changed your, you know, we can still be type A. Like, uh, 
I hear you on that sister on the type A. And what I've discovered is like one of my active practices right now, I'm trying to teach myself is I have all the time in the world. Even today, as I woke up this morning and things, things are blowing up for us a little bit right now. And I'm feeling like I have so much to do. I have no time to do it. I'm trying not to rush through everything. So my active practice is teaching myself that I have all the time in the world. There is no past there is no future. The only thing happening is right now. Has that changed for you at all through going through this illness? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, much in a similar way, if you just mentioned in your own life, but also I before felt like I had to pack every single minute with something that was productive. So either helping me towards my future or socializing with my friends or something that is productive. But now I've learned that things like going in the cold tub or sitting in the sunshine or going for a walk, those are just as productive in a different way. And it doesn't have to all be something that's going to, you know, directly impact my future, that it's going to look good on my resume. Now I do things because I enjoy doing them. And even things that may help with that in the future, it's kind of an indirect way that they'll help with it. It's not, you know, if this doesn't help, then it was worthless. It's, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot and I've grown from that as a person rather than as an applicant for graduate school, you know? So you're looking at a bigger picture about how you feel overall, not just what goes on paper for your future. Exactly. What do you do now to be still? I find my stillness in the cold tub for sure. And I wake up to watch the sunrise in the mornings and even on days when I might miss it I'll be out there in the morning and sometimes I I usually leave my phone inside and sometimes I don't even bring a journal or anything just sit and be still in the light and I find that that really helps me to to set my day or I'll take a walk in the mornings go for a hike in the mornings and that's the same stillness even though I'm moving mm-hmm. and so those are my two main ways of, of finding that I am not a good meditator I wish I was nobody but. <laughs> is nobody is I want I'm interrupting you because I want to stop the meditation shaming you guys nobody's good at meditating that's why it's called a practice the idea is that we practice the idea is that we just do the thing it's not about being good at it it's not about mastering it it's about taking that time to sit still recognizing your thoughts allowing them to move through you and continuing that practice So if I could impart any bit of advice to anyone listening right now, we don't need to meditate, shame ourselves. We are all moving through this practice and it is a practice. There's no mastery there. All right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that you're meditating though, because we can find meditation in the simplest things, taking a bite of food recognizing each of the ingredients in that food, recognizing all of the hands and all of the work and all of the people that went through what they did to make that food reach your plate. And in that one bite, you can hold so much gratitude and so much recognition for that process that that in and of itself is a meditation. So we can find these ways to meditate in the tiniest parts of our lives and help us slow it all down a little bit. So you do still want to become a doctor? I do. Has your vision changed? It has. You know, it changed while I was in the hospital, the type of doctor that I want to be, um, just because I had so many different healthcare providers. But 
in the ways that I've gotten better, I haven't gotten better through traditional medicine. I mean, not to say that it didn't help me. It absolutely did. There's a, a place for it 100%. I agree. But in the short term, um, that was what, what helped. But in the long term, after I got out of the hospital, after I could walk again and was, you know, deemed to have had a full recovery, but I absolutely hadn't had a full recovery. I was still getting sick. The things that helped me the most were changing my diet, cold exposure, um, getting appropriate sun exposure, fixing my sleep, all of that. And I see so many other individuals that those things help and they are truly the best medicine but it's not widely practiced in the healthcare field. And I think that that absolutely has to change. And that's part of the change that I want to be a part of. So I want to go to medical school, learn all of the physiology of it, um, and learn the rules essentially, and then learn how to incorporate all of these modalities into practicing medicine so that more people can have the exposure to it. Because right now, Companies like Morosco are doing amazing work in teaching people these things. But sadly, there's a lot of people that don't get that exposure. And I think that healthcare providers are the perfect, in the perfect spot to deliver that to individuals and teach them. And it's not that many people don't agree with, with these modalities or they don't um, believe that, they're, that they can help. It's that they just simply don't know. I have no idea. Exactly. Because when we go to the doctor and we're diagnosed with a condition, we're provided a pill or a shot or a regimen of medications, of prescription medications. In all of the specialists that I spoke with and visited with and, and saw, not one talked about what I was eating except for my allergist. And that was because he needed to find out what it was my body was allergic to. And it wasn't through the 148 or 152 shots that he put in my back and my arms. It was through elimination re food regimen to figure out, okay, if I remove everything and I only introduce one thing at a time, I'll find out what my irritants are. How did you find out about natural healing remedies? How did you find out about alternative healing? Because again, we're not hearing this from our medical staff. We're not hearing this from our providers and from our specialists. How did you get on that path? Yeah, so I am very lucky in that I work for a doctor who does this. She's a, a trained MD. Um, her name is Dr. Courtney Hunt. When I was 17, I started interning for her. Um, just met her husband out of chance and started interning. And at that point, she was slowly transitioning her practice more into this. You know, she had seen what would help people heal. Um, she's an OBGYN by training, so she you know, had all that traditional, traditional training. And so I was along with her, with this journey and seeing the things that she was incorporating. And so throughout my college experience, I would come back and intern with her and now I'm working with her full time again. Um, but she was the one who taught me about cold exposure and the one who helped me transition to a ketogenic diet to fix my my health problems and taught me about sun exposure and all of this. And I do a lot of different things at the office, but one of the things I do is scribe. So I get to see all these patients come back after going to, you know, specialist after specialist after specialist and implementing these things and they are better. And it's amazing to me that, 
you know, two people with completely opposite health conditions can do these same things and it will go to the root cause of, you know, reducing inflammation, increasing mitochondrial function, all of it. And, you know, they'll both heal. And that just goes to show that you don't need a diagnosis in order to heal. And I think that it, it took me a while to to really let that sink in because, you, you know, you can hear that. But when you have X, Y, and Z happening to you and you are having, for me, like I was having palpitations and I was having skin discoloration and all these random things that were not, you know, research didn't link them to Guillain-Barre. And I was like, I need an answer. And she's like, no, Kara, you need to do these things and this will fix you. But it was so hard for me to to go with that, even though I was so close with her and worked with her so closely and saw it in so many patients, I still tried to seek those answers. And I counted within six months, I had gone to 17 different specialists. And even though I may have gotten a couple different answers, the the solution they offered me was pills that I wouldn't take anyways. So having these words, while it offered some sort of comfort, it really didn't fix anything. And so I came back to Dr. Hunt. I mean, I was with her the whole time, but I, I started listening mm-hmm. and went to cold uh, to cold therapy more and more. I think part of the difficulty in that is when you're as sick as you were, when we get as sick as we are through disease, it's hard to believe that food can be the answer. It's hard to believe that a food regimen change can have this impact. And you think like, well, that might work for you because you have Hashimoto's or that might work for you because you have Renaud's, but that can't possibly work for me because I have Guillain-Barre and that's completely different. This is extreme. So I need an extreme answer. And that's how I felt. I felt like, yeah, you might, that might work for you, but that's definitely not going to work for me. That's, that's a lot of what I went through when I was discovering these alternatives. So you do you do a ketogenic food regimen and do you do it all the time? Cause you know how, when people do keto, you know, if they're doing it to lose weight or there are all different reasons that people do keto, do you do like the three months on and then take some time off or is it full keto all the time? Like what is that? What does your keto food regimen look like for you? Yeah. So when I first started, I was like, there is no way I can do this for the rest of my life. You know, and I kind of just swallowed that because I was so sick and so desperate. I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. But once I did it for, you know, six weeks or more and I started to feel the benefits, I was like, there's no way I'm doing anything but keto for the rest of my life. Yeah, I totally understand that. (laughs) Yeah, because it just it fixed so many different aspects of me. You know, I, in addition to Guillain-Barre, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and my hormones are completely normal now. So, and my brain is functioning so much better and I just feel so good that I don't want to not be in ketosis. And that's not to say that I won't cheat every once in a while, you know, quote unquote cheat um, and have a higher carb meal. I find that sometimes if I'm in ketosis for a while and I have that high carb meal and then get right back to it the next day, I feel even better. Yes. Um, so that's kind of the little bit of cycling that I do, but I will never stay out of ketosis for more than a day when I cheat. Now I can get back in, right back in pretty much immediately. It used to take me a few days, but now I've trained my body to be fat adapted and to have that metabolic flexibility where I can do that. And cold thermogenesis also helps put the body into a ketogenic state. Yeah, so absolutely. So that's a benefit. Absolutely. So if I do um, have a higher carb meal, I know if I do some exercise and get in my cold forage, then 
I'll be right back in. That's so fantastic. And mm-hmm. are you testing that with like pH strips or are you just aware because now you've done it so long? What's your practice for knowing that you're in ketosis? So at the beginning, I was using the the, stri- the urine strips, but the blood meters are much more accurate. And so I got a blood ketone meter. They have a couple that are good. I are you doing like the glucose glucose monitor or... I, um, so I've had a glucose monitor in the past, like a continuous one, but now I just use the ketone strips. So okay. it's just a finger prick and it'll check your blood ketones and it'll give you a very, like a number rather than just colors that you're comparing like on the oh urine strips. God. Yes. So I use that. And at the beginning I would test like every day and it can take a long time to get used to ketosis. So, you know, if you're doing it and you're a few months in and you're not feeling like a hundred percent or you're not losing weight you have to keep going with it because it takes a while. And so I used to test every single day, but now I can tell when I'm in and when I'm not, you know, my brain is functioning much more clearly when I'm in ketosis and I feel better. So if I cheat and I can tell when that flip, when that switch gets flipped. Yep. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And it sounds like you're probably more in tune with your body because through all this practice, you're paying attention head to toe. It's like a check-in what do I feel right now? What did I do? And what do I feel right now? What did I do? And what do I feel right now? Do you feel like you are in a closer conversation with your body through this, through all of this practice and regimen? I absolutely do. And I have to say that is one of the things that I struggled with the most. And I know a lot of people struggle with that because, you know, it seems like such a simple thing, like, oh, how are you feeling? Do you feel different? But I was in such a state of mind of, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm going to push through this, I'm fine, that it took me, you know, making spreadsheets of literally everything when I was really sick for me to notice those difference and and to differences and to, you know, be that in tune. And so it took a long time and I still struggle with this sometimes. You know, I'll be at work and I'll be told, oh, you need to, you need to stop. You need to go home. I'm like, no, I'm fine. But if I don't, I get really, really sick. So I still struggle with it, but I definitely am better than I was. I'm glad that you're improving that practice. I just want you to know you're going to make a great entrepreneur someday. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things about that, when we are these driven individuals and like one of, one of the things that I work through in my practices, but I love all of these things. I love everything that I do. I love talking to the customers. I love doing this outreach. I love connecting the community. I love sharing the cold with people. And so when it comes to a day where I'm booked every minute of the day and, and I am my own boss, I'm the worst boss I've ever had. I'm my own boss. And I still sometimes overbook my schedule. And then I'm like, wait a minute, how does this help? How, like, who's going to tell me to take a break? No one. I'm the only one that can tell me to take a break. And if I keep pushing, even if it's all the things I want to do, if I keep pushing myself, I'm not going to be good for anyone, least of all myself. And I'm, if I'm not taking care of myself, how can I tell people how to take care of themselves? If I'm not walking the walk, how can I tell you what to do? I have no right. Absolutely. So that brings <laughs> me back into focus sometimes. <laughs> in practice. I'm still working on this. I'm still working on the power of the pause. And noticing like, what are those, what are the actions that I have that alert me to Adrian, you need a break. I start to get a little irritable with employees or with customers or with my significant other or friends. If I'm speaking in an irritable way, even to a stranger, that's an immediate check-in for me. Adrian, stop. 
What do you need for you so that you don't feel that you're projecting this aggression towards other people about what you don't have fortified within yourself? So that's my number one. Stop, take a moment, breathe, take some quiet time. And if I have to cancel a reschedule, I cancel a reschedule. I try not to cancel. I try to reschedule. And it doesn't always work that way, right? Life doesn't always work that way, that we just get to reschedule everything in our day. And I find that there is also a great benefit, even if I only have two to five minutes, even if that makes me 15 minutes late for something, what's more important, me taking five minutes to myself and realigning or being on time for an appointment? What's more important? Our lives, our bodies, our health. What is the emotional process like for you now? I think I know that I've gotten so much better emotionally. It's still hard sometimes. It's still hard to not be where I thought I needed to be, but I just get all these different signs of I'm exactly where I need to be right now. And I'm learning so much that I will be able to give to others in the future. So that has brought me a lot of peace. And I have gone through a lot of the PTSD of the experience that I had. A lot of people who have chronic illnesses or severe illnesses go through PTSD, whether it's called that and they recognize it or not. But I've really worked through that through different therapy and things like that. And so now I feel like I'm finally on the other side and I feel very, very at peace with where I am in my life and I'm excited. And I, I don't think that I ever lost that excitement, but I think that I reached a point where I was too tired and too sick to feel excited about the rest of my life. I couldn't get past tomorrow. Um, so now I'm back, you know, at that point where I can be excited and that is one of the best things that you can do for your health, you know, is have that excitement, excitement towards your future. Yes. Knowing that there is a possibility on the horizon. Yes. I agree with that. So did you start with food? Was food your first natural healing modality change that you began with? It was. And at first, I didn't know which direction to go with food. It's so confusing with the different vegans the right way, keto's the right way, just juice all the time. You know, there's just so many different opinions out there and it's so hard to know what's right and what works. But I know that before, for me personally, before I got uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, I had tried juicing and eating what I thought was a healthy diet and it wasn't working for me. So I tried different things. And at first when I tried keto, I will be the first to say I failed and I felt sicker and it, I had to, you know, go through with my doctor and reassess everything. And I wasn't eating enough calories, not intentionally. I just wasn't hungry and I wasn't using electrolyte replacement. And that is, I think one of the number one pitfalls with people who do the keto diet who don't have success with it is the electrolytes because that'll help with your energy levels. That is just something that's so important. And I I was getting so fatigued. So once I was able to fix those things and stick with it, then my energy shot up. So pursuing a ketogenic diet was one of the first things. In addition to cold exposure, I had that pretty, pretty soon after um, I think Dr. Hunt wanted me to do it while I was still in the hospital, but yeah. I, it was Don't not nearly possible. impossible eating hospital food. Yeah, that that's yeah. a whole other podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. So electrolyte replacement, what does that look like? 
So I use one that Dr. Hart recommended to me. It's called Ultima, and it's just a sugar-free electrolyte replacement. So I just use one to two scoops of that every day. Is that a powder? It is a powder. Mm-hmm. So they have a bunch of them out there, obviously, but a lot of them have so many fillers or synthetic vitamins or you know, sugar, things that you don't want. So the best option would be to make your own, you know, just using magnesium, chloride, all of the electrolytes. I haven't had any experience doing that. I haven't tried. I probably should, but I have not. But the Ultima is a good option. So Ultima is the name of the brand. Yes. Does it have any food dyes or colors in it? It is colored with, I believe, beet juice or there's just, it's naturally colored. Okay. So it's pretty clean. I ask because I have never found an electrolyte replacement that I can use. Mm-hmm. So I add Himalayan salt to my water. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling low on electrolytes, if I'm feeling dehydrated, if I get what I call the cold headache, which is just that tiny little headache in the front of the forehead, or if I'm feeling fatigued, I'll add a few sprinkles of Himalayan sea salt to my water. I'll squeeze half a lemon in there and that sets me right as rain. I would love to find an electrolyte type supplement that is safe for my body that I can take with me like when I'm traveling and I can't just travel with fresh lemons or like a thing of salt. Like (laughs) you wouldn't think that it would be so challenging to travel with a little bit of salt, Uh, but it is, it is like, they don't make them like those tiny little Tabascos. They don't make tiny (laughs) little, I'm going to have to find a way to do individual Himalayan salt packets for my electrolytes when I travel, especially now that I'm on the road more than I'm at home. But I would love, I would love to, um, get a link to that or something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. It's called Ultima. Yes. They Ultima. sell it at Sprouts. They have individual packets okay. of the different flavors that you can try. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I get, I get it from the website just because they have coupons frequently. Direct so through. yeah. And then I do the salt water as well, but mm-hmm. I find that I need, for me, I need both. A little bit more. And a lot of people will need both because in ultra, uh, electrolyte replacements, usually they don't have sodium. It's all the other electrolytes. Right. So that'll give you a full spectrum. I love that. Mm-hmm. And so you, so you do the keto and you do the electrolyte replacement, which is fantastic. Do you do any other supplements? Are you taking any vitamins? I do. I do. So I, with Dr. Hunt, she has genetic protocol testing. So looking at different genetic mutations in different pathways involved in detoxification. And, and is she checking that through like a blood panel? It's through a cheek swab. So Ooh. yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, and it, she can do it across the country, just the genetics part of it. And so it'll look at mutations in inflammation, detoxification, mitochondria, that kind of thing. So it's really looking for those spots in the biochemical pathways that you struggle with. So mm-hmm. rather than taking a million different detoxifying supplements, which I know we all get so, I mean, at least I at first would get so, so confused. Yes. And you can spend so much money. Um, but if you don't have an issue with those specific pathways, you sh- you're wasting your money by taking those supplements. You need, you know, these over here that'll help with the the genetic mutations that you have. So I did that before I got Guillain-Barre. Um, I did it back in 2016 with her when she first started, but we went back and re-looked at all of it to make sure that I was on all those supplements um, to for all of that. So those are the ones that I'm on specifically. So it's fantastic that you have a provider that is exploring these natural remedies for you. And so you started with the keto food regimen and you were doing deliberate cold exposure. What was next in your natural healing process? Yes. So um, probably around the same time as starting keto and cold exposure, I was um, using the sun for my healing. It's another thing that Dr. Hunt taught me about. So, you know, waking up 
in the morning with the sunrise, which was very, very difficult at first. My mom mm-hmm. would drag me out the door, <laughs> put me in front of the sun. Um, but that to help set circadian rhythm and get that red light into my eyes and on my skin, um, because that will go in and set your melatonin production for the day. And all of your hormone production can be um, traced back to getting that red light. That's why I love that my bedroom window um, looks directly at the rising sun. So the minute that sun starts to peek over the horizon, my eyes are like wide open. And I just lay there in bed and I look through my little plant curtain and I see that sun just getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And I'm like, oh, this is nice. Like the good news is for me, I don't even have to get out of bed to see that. Uh, The challenge is, again, when I'm traveling, you know, you change time zones or you're in a different, you know, climate. And so maybe it's cloudy and gray and here we're on our third or fourth day of cloudy, rainy days here in Phoenix. I start to feel that. I start to feel that energetically. I start to feel that in my mood. I start to feel that in my emotional regulation. Don't get me wrong. I love a great rainy day, but girl, I need my sunshine. Oh, absolutely. I need the sunshine. Like when it starts to get wintertime here, it, it, as soon as, and, and we've already passed our longest day of the year, so already our days are shrinking. Mm-hmm. I feel that in my bones. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what I do to to combat that is, you know, there's a window throughout the day of when UV light is available. And that UV light is really what can help with dopamine production and all of that. So how do you know what the window is? So there's actually an app called (laughs) DMinder. Neat. Yes. And it is amazing. It's free. And it'll tell you what that vitamin D window is. And it'll tell you when the sun is below 30 degrees on the horizon. When the sun's below 30 degrees on the horizon, that's when all that red light's coming through. So that's when you're going to get the benefits of sunrise and sunset. And I should add, when you're watching the sunrise, you optimally wouldn't have glass or anything in between. between because you. that'll mm-hmm. filter out some of the light. So no glasses, no contacts, none of it. That's a good point because mm-hmm. the window in my bedroom is like one of those, the solar something or other. Mm-hmm. So that's blocking out some of that, even though I'm waking up to it every morning. Yes. So, if you so can I got to get my ass out of bed. You do. <laughs> Go put your feet in the grass and watch the sun. I can do sunrise. that. I, grass is coming back in my yard now that perfect. the business has vacated my yard. The grass is coming back. I can do that now. Yes, perfect. That's really good to know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as winter comes, the vitamin D window or the time when the UV mm-hmm. um, is at a, a level where you can make vitamin D gets shorter and shorter. So you have to mm-hmm. be very cognizant of when you're outside. And this app will also tell you how long you can stay in the sun without burning. So you plug in your skin type and it'll look at your latitude, all of that. You put in if there's cloud exposure, if you're wearing a tank top and shorts or a swimsuit or what. And it'll say, okay, you can stay out for 30 minutes on each side without burning. Wow. Yep. It's amazing. So. Because I burn like just thinking of sunshine sometimes, you know, (laughs) and then there are other times when I, I know my body is craving it so much. And so I'll spend, I try to spend at least an hour a day in the sun, like full on Mm. direct sun on my body. Yeah. And that has its challenges. Obviously Mm. in Phoenix, we're hitting 115 degree days. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just standard. Yeah. Uh, But I tell you what, Pennsylvania at 95 and 90% humidity was a heck of a lot worse. I will take (laughs) Phoenix any day of the week. You better believe it. So, so you got into the sun gazing and the D minder. Mm -hmm. And so you're moving through these natural healing modalities. What was next? You know, I think I was ready to move on to something next. And then I had to take a step back and look and make sure I was doing all these things at a hundred percent before I did that. Because there is something that I, 
I know I struggled with and so many other people were like, I'm doing everything right and nothing's changing. But then when you start tracking it and you think you're watching the sunrise every day, but then you look at it, oh, you're only watching it four or five days a week. But, and which, oh, it seems like that wouldn't make a huge difference, but it does. Mm -hmm. So I had to look back on all all of the things I was doing and make sure that I had perfected them. And when I did, and when I was, you know, very consistent with using my cold forge, very consistent with sunrise, sunset, sunshine during the day, all of these things, then I didn't think that I needed anything else added, you know? You know, that's, that's a beautiful representation, I think, of the cycle that we can put ourselves in when we experience illness. We want to try, first of all, we want to try everything all at once yes. because we need relief. We need it now. Yes. And then sometimes it's too much to keep up with. It becomes overwhelming. Other times we're doing all these things and we're feeling better, but we don't know which one caused us to feel better. We don't know which one is having that great impact. So I'm a fan of the smallest possible experiment. I'm a fan of start with one thing, make one small change. Maybe that's adding deliberate cold exposure. Maybe that's moving towards a ketogenic food regimen. Maybe that's sun gazing. Start with one thing. Do that one thing for 30 days. Yes. Keep a journal about it. Keep, keep a journal that tells you how often was I consistent? What did I feel this day when I woke up? What did I feel at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. How was this practice? Was I practicing keto seven days a week or was I, you know, kind of keto, right. which, you know, you, in order for those metabolic benefits to happen and that mitochondrial change to happen, you need to be in ketosis. Absolutely. And I think that's obviously one of the biggest mistakes. And if you're, you know, keto half the time which you're really non-keto half the time if you're doing that you're just eating high fat and then eating carbs and you're gonna make yourself sicker you know you can't have both you gotta pick there's some things where it's like oh i watched the sunrise three days of the week and that is fantastic that's way better than nothing nothing, but keto you can't half-ass it you go hard or go home that makes sense that makes sense and that can be challenging where do you find support when you're struggling through dr hunt Mm-hmm. And through my friends and my family. So Dr. Hunt can help me look at everything and see where I need to make the changes. And she will be honest with me. And I need someone to call me out because I can be very headstrong. But that and my mom will do keto with me at the beginning. She started it with me and she still does it with me. She'll go watch the sunrise with me. She'll say, you know, if I'm like, mom, I feel awful. She'll be like, well, when was the last time you were in your cold forge? You know, when was mm-hmm. last time you went for a walk? When was the last time you did this? When was the last time that you did that? And that is my mental check. Oh yeah. I'm lying to myself and yeah. thinking, not lying to myself, but I'm, you know, we do. Yeah, we lie to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not doing everything that I think I'm doing. So that's where I have those people in my life to put me back on track. With this journey of your mom joining you with these practices, has she experienced health benefits as well? I think that she has, and I've noticed the difference in her as well. You know, everyone has something that they could improve. Mm -hmm. And so I think for her, it's really helped with her brain function Mm -hmm. and with her sleep. And, you know, she, I dragged her to uh, cold therapy at the beginning. And now Mm -hmm. she, just the other day, she's like, can I use your cold porch? So (laughs) just for fun, you know, or not for fun, but she knows what it does for her. Absolutely. She knows what it does for her. So I think she's absolutely gotten those benefits. And I think at first she started these things with me to be supportive and to help me because she knows they're hard. And so she started that for those reasons. But I think now she feels the benefits in herself and 
that's why what she a keeps beautiful going. way to be supported to that you know we don't have to force people into these practices that's one of the questions that's another question i'm asked a lot is you know this person i love is going through this thing how do i make them do something you can't and we can't we no. can't make anyone do anything what we can do is lead our best lives Absolutely. And allow them to see what is changing in us because we've adopted these practices. Yes, absolutely. And they'll start asking and they'll mm-hmm. want to join you. And that is absolutely, you're absolutely right. That is the best way to do it. How do you ask for help when you need help? That's a very good question. And that is something that I struggled with so much at the beginning. So much. You know, I didn't want to reduce my schedule at school. I didn't want to go through the DR, the Disability Resource Center and have extra time on tests in case my hand started shaking so much that I couldn't write. I didn't want to do any of that. But now I've realized that if you don't ask for help and you need help, you are doing nothing but a disservice for yourself and for those people who are close to you who would be very happy to help you, you know, And if you need help and you don't ask for it, then it reaches a point where I felt like I was doing it to myself. Like if I'm sick and there's someone who can help and there's something that can be done and I'm not asking, I'm making myself sicker. And I think changing that mindset rather than, oh, I'm weak because I'm asking for help, but I'm making myself sicker and that's weak by not asking for help. Mm -hmm. That made it a lot easier for me. And once I started asking for help, seeing how willing people were to help me, you know, they were excited about it. You know, my mom was excited to do these things with me and the people in my life were excited to help. So that that really changed the perspective for me. I think that can be one of the hardest things, too, because. We can often bring illness upon ourselves with the drive that we create in our lives. Absolutely. And when I think of the help that I provide for others, if I'm not allowing anyone to do that for me, I feel like I'm robbing them. Yes. I'm robbing someone of an opportunity to stand up for me the way that I've stood for them. And that, that was a huge shift. When I realized that, that was a huge shift for me and learning what it looked like to ask for help. And now I can look at my business partners, one of them being my husband. I can look at my business partners and say, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I need your help. Will you help me with this thing? And it helps to come to the table with the thing that you need help with. Oh, yes. I don't know what I need help with. I just need help. Well, that's a start. Yes. I mean, just start, just start somewhere. Yes. Right. And I have done that with my husband. I don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what it is I'm struggling with. I just know I need help and I don't know what it looks like right now. Will you please just help me? And sometimes just having that capacity to say, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do next. Any advice that you can see from the outside in, will you share with me? Absolutely. And that evolves into a conversation. Like I said, now I can say, Tom, Jason, will you help me with this thing? for this amount of time? Will you help me take over these communications? Will you help me remove myself from this situation? Yes. Will you help me figure out a better plan moving forward for how to do the next thing that I'm feeling overwhelmed with? And sometimes I realize it's just a state of what I'm operating in. I'll be operating in, I have to take care of this, I have to take care of this, I have to take care of this. Well, you took care of all those things. So now what do you need help with? Oh, well, often I need help with just sitting still. Okay. I just need to give myself permission to sit still. It's okay. (laughs) These things are still going to be on the to-do list. They're not going anywhere. Right. And I think type A people like us, we fill our to-do list so full anyways, even if we cross everything off, we're going to add more. So there's never going to be a, 
there's oh, I no have such thing. To do. There's no such thing as a completed to do no. list. No. And, and I probably have five. You know, <laughs> like there's one here in the notebook on each tab. There's one on my phone. There's one on the iPad. There's one in the email. Like there's always to do lists and I'm always adding to them and they're never fully done. And are you the type of person that sometimes will put something on a to do list just so you can cross it off because oh, you're like, oh, I love that. Sense got, of accomplishment. I, I have to send you a Colby A assessment just for fun. It helps you determine what your cognitive energies are. So like what your four major categories are and how you operate at your best self based on where your energy lies. Like, like I'd imagine with, um, wanting to be in the medical profession, you like research. I love research. My favorite thing. Girl, I hear you. So I'm <laughs> going to send you one of these just for fun, okay, just to help you. Yeah. Work within your, and if you guys, if you're out there, check this out, Colby A assessment. We have everyone that comes to work with us move through one of these. We often ask partners or people that we become involved with in uh, partnerships or work with. We want you to do this because we want you to operate at your best cognitive strength. We, we don't want you to feel taxed by your tasks. We want you to operate within tasks and energies that fulfill you and give you that energy, not so that you can work yourself to the bone, but so that you can understand like, Hey, I'm good at research. I like research. And I put off things that I have to do like that immediate I have to figure this out. I have to solve this problem. So you can find times a day, like, you know what? I struggle with these things. So I'm going to focus on these during this time of day. So that that's been helpful. That's been helpful. Even in my relationship with my husband, uh, one of the ways I, we like to describe it is if he and I are going on a dinner and a movie date night, his cognitive profile says he's going to show up at the movie theater, see what's available and what's playing based on what time everything starts. He's either going to go to dinner or he's going to watch the movie and then go to dinner. Me, I'm going to search up the three local theaters. I'm going to see what movies are playing. What time do they have start? Now, what are the surrounding restaurants? Which one am I going to start? We start with dinner. We can start with this. Okay. But how much time do we need? So what time do we need to leave the house? We could drive each other nuts if we didn't know this about each other going into our relationship, but getting this sense of like, where do I operate effectively? And then knowing that about the people around you can help you blossom. So I love that. I love the Colby A assessment. You guys give that a try. K-O-L-B-E-A assessment by Kathy Colby. It's pretty fantastic. So as you're moving through these natural healing modalities, do you get support from other people who have experienced disease or are working through disease? Do you have a support system of people who have had a similar experience to yours? I have one person. Her name's Carly and she reached out a friend of a friend of a friend when I got Guillain-Barre reached out to her and told her about me she's also very type a and that personality I think that that trait is so helpful when relating to other people who are sick because people with different personality types handle it very differently and it's not beneficial as beneficial to either either way you know if, if it doesn't match so she reached out to me my family while I was still in Spain still sick and she has talked me through all of it and seeing her get better. You know, she came and visited me in the hospital wearing heels so she could show me that she could still wear heels and she could still walk after having this condition. So having that is so helpful. And now that I've gotten a lot better, you know, we are each other's support system. And so she started doing some of these modalities as well. And it's it's been interesting to see how different our diseases present, even though they're the same. And I think that that kind of loops back to, you know, it can be the same, the same 
modalities that help fix very different conditions because even within the same condition and the same disease, it presents very, very differently. Mm-hmm. So I, I find that with Hashimoto's too, different people have different experiences of what their more major symptoms are to what their minor symptoms are or the plethora of symptoms versus the people who are just kind of maintaining sort of. And I think it's amazing that the modalities of healing can cross the board. They can cross the barriers of what your illness is, what my illness is, what you're experiencing, what I'm experiencing. Sometimes it can be the same answer. I spoke with this woman, uh, Dasha, Dasha Maximov. She's had six traumatic brain injuries and she follows similar things, deliberate cold exposure, sun gazing, um, food regimen, natural low inflammation food regimen. And we've talked on this podcast as well. And it, is almost surprising to me that people moving through different things can still experience these benefits through these same natural healing modalities. I also think it's important for people to recognize you don't have to be sick or you don't have to experience illness to experience benefits from these practices. Absolutely. Like somehow in our bodies, we're all still a little bit cavemen. From the minute we invented fire, we became more technologically advanced than our bodies would ever evolve to. So then you add industrial revolution and all these other disruptors of technology in our lives. And our bodies are still walking around like, whoa, we're cavemen. We don't know what to do, all that stuff. So even when you're healthy, you can experience benefit from these natural healing modalities. Yes, absolutely. And I think that also that word healthy is very, very subjective. And people will think, oh, I'm healthy. I haven't been diagnosed with any diseases. Mm -hmm. I'm healthy. I don't have any weird symptoms going on, but they're tired all the time. Mm -hmm. They don't have the energy to play with their kids after work and do all these things. So using these modalities can, can set you up to have that extra energy and to be able to handle the stress of your job better because nobody, yes, nobody doesn't have stress and nobody doesn't have unexpected you know, circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. So you can prepare your body for that so that you can be happier and have more, a better quality of life, more resilience. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that's a great way to look at it. And like you said, yeah, we're all working through something. Mm -hmm. Even, even if we don't feel tired all the time, even if we feel, you know what, I'm fit, I work out, all these things are great. Who doesn't need an extra tool in their belt to just give them a little bit more support? And moving through life, life in and of itself is challenging. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's very interesting how much you can improve your brain function too. You know, who mm-hmm. doesn't want to be smarter? Who doesn't yeah. want to be able to, you know, think faster and, and have all it's, it's just a great, great tool to have. Just even sitting here with you compared to our first conversation, like, you know, in our first conversation towards the end of our conversation, it, I could just feel you know, your energy was just a little bit, you know, you'd spent, you'd, you'd meet this new person. You're in this new place. You're doing this kind of scary thing, talking on a podcast, sharing your story with the world. And towards the end, it was just kind of like, okay, now we're done. Yes. And now as we're talking, it's like you're getting brighter and lighter and more excited about the things that you're talking about when it comes to sharing these experiences and working towards your future. Do you keep like a vision board? Or like any type of, how do you hold your ultimate vision in your, in your presence? That is something that I have gone very back and forth with. Mm -hmm. You know, at first when I got sick, I made a vision board and I did not look at it again because I just, it didn't, that 
for some people is like amazing and, and help helpful and and it's so great and I wish that it that I was one of those people that it would help with like I really do but I think just visualizing myself in the life that I want and I don't know specifically what I want I don't know exactly what I want to do I don't know exactly what my end goal is with my career with all of that so just thinking about those general underlying principles that I want Mm -hmm. so I want to be able to help people with these modalities I want to be able to expand my knowledge and of physiology and and science just having those and visualizing myself having those qualities even though I don't know what it will look like that's how I I hold that for myself so it doesn't have to be specific it can be specific but general yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you have an idea yes you have an idea of what you want to feel yes I think it's helpful to like envision that feeling like yes. what do I want to feel what what do I want the emotion to be it's a practice that I kind of use as I'm falling asleep at night I think like what do I want to feel yes where do I want to go what do I want to experience and then try that feeling on for size like even if it were a pair of shoes you know like you can envision you know this is what my feet feel like in a pair of tennis shoes versus a pair of flip-flops it can be something so base yes and that can still put you on the path towards that ultimate vision absolutely and I think that it's hard at first. It's so hard. And it's hard to for anyone to to try that on without mm-hmm. practice, you know, but doing it at different times of the day, like you mentioned before you go to sleep. Like I, I do the same thing before I go to sleep. I do it in the morning when I'm watching the sunrise. I mm-hmm. do it when I'm in my cold forge. Mm-hmm. Just those different times of day just to get that pattern with those feelings so that you can make them a reality. I think too, one of the things to think about is that when you're, when you're in the throes of illness or disease, it can be hard to imagine having the capacity for a future. Yes. So it can feel scary to be like, okay, this is what I want for my future because the way that you feel right now, like you said at one point and you took the words right out of my head, it's like, I I can't even prepare for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can't even get there tomorrow. And when I feel that way, because even in my health, I sometimes feel that way. I bring myself back to the present. What am I, where am I right now? What can I do right now that feeds my greater vision? Am, is what I'm doing right now, feeding my greater vision, sitting here, talking with you, sharing your story. Absolutely. That shares my greater vision. Did I struggle to get out of bed this morning? Cause it was still gray and rainy outside. Absolutely. <laughs> I did. And I had to remind myself, why am I doing this? What is my purpose? And there are still times when I feel overwhelmed or scared or insecure. And I'm thinking, gosh, like, who, who wants to do this? Mm-hmm. Who wants to do this with me? Who wants to have this conversation? Who wants to air their entire personal experience for the world to hear? And I think we do. Yes. I think we do. And I think that as long as I'm providing this platform, people have the choice to show up or not. And I have the resilience to be okay with that. Absolutely. And I have to remind myself that sometimes. I think we all go through that. I think it's important to remember that even on our healing journey, even when we feel we have the capacity for tomorrow, mm-hmm. it's okay to stop and just be here today. Yes. Absolutely. And focus on what am I doing right now that feeds that greater vision? Yes. Yes. Is there anything in particular you want to share with someone who's say at the beginning of this journey? I would say going back to kind of what we discussed earlier, that consistency is, is what matters the most and checking in with yourself. And if I could give someone one piece of advice it would be make a spreadsheet you know that's very like 
I guess, obsessive of me to do. But That's very Colby. Make- Where do you get your profile? <laughs> <laughs> if you do that, you can see what's helping and what's hurting because it's so easy to be like, oh my God, I'm exhausted today. I didn't even do anything that made me tired. I did the same things I did yesterday and I'm tired. Mm-hmm. But if you have everything written down, you can see, oh wait, I ate more carbs today than I did yesterday. Or I you know, slept an extra 30 minutes, different Mm -hmm. things like that. And when you can see those patterns and then you can write down your triggers and the things that, you know, I felt awful after I did this, I felt awful after I did that, then you can use that as your own personal health guide. It gives you a bird's eye view. Yep. And it gives you that guide that no one else can provide for you. Nobody, nobody can tell you exactly what's going to help and what's going to hurt. Are there any books that you've read that have helped you on this journey? Mm -hmm. Like, have you read The Body Keeps the Score? I have not. I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Put that one on your list. The okay. Body Keeps the Score. I think that was that's one of the ones that set me on this path. Really? And I think it helps us. Again, it's just another one of those that highlights how in tuned our bodies are to our emotional states, how in tuned and how much our bodies carry from every experience we have in our lives. And our muscles have memory. Absolutely. Our tissues have memory. And even if we think like, oh, I went through that and I was fine and everything's fine, it can sometimes show up later as a physical symptom. Yes, it definitely can. Mm -hmm. And I think about that a lot with how I got sick when Mm -hmm. I got Guillain-Barre. The thought crosses my mind, you know, was this because I was stressing my body out too much because I was working night shifts and going to school all day and doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that we don't think about it, but it can catch up to us. Yeah. Very quickly. I think of that too. I've recently been referring to my autoimmune is kind of like the dog without a job. I was living the first 32 years of my life. I was living in a state of fight or flight Mm -hmm. from childhood. I did not know any different. I was always hyper vigilant. I was, I couldn't even sit in a restaurant without facing out to the room because I was constantly in that state of like waiting for the next big thing to happen that was going to turn my life upside down. And these are behavioral patterns that I carried on from childhood into adulthood. And it was like, all of a sudden my body was like, number one, I can't do this anymore. I have given you every ounce of everything I've got and you never give me a break. I can't do this anymore. And I think the reason it turned on me, my body turned against me is because I wasn't giving it any external factors to create resilience. So I was always in climate controlled environments. I was always fed. There was no such thing as hunger. There was no such thing as going without or experiencing extremes. And that's the dog without a job. When I started introducing fasting and deliberate cold exposure, that's when I was giving my body this job. So instead of turning on me, my body was like, wait, stop the presses. We have to do, we have to save Adrian from this deliberate cold. We have to save you from this ice bath, this extreme freezing temperature. You're going to die. And introducing that regularly, it was my, my body's way of turning away from the inward and outward. Okay. Now we have a job to do. Now we have something more important to do than just focusing all of this the like pent up energy, you know, it's like mm-hmm. an Aussie just kind of doing circles, doing zoomies inside of a room in an apartment, never getting any exercise. And so that's kind of how I've been referring to it lately. I believe, I believe that I got sick because I needed to get sick. I believe if I didn't get sick, I would have never stopped or slowed down. And I think my body making me sick was my body's way of saying, you don't have a choice. I'm in charge. 
that's a very good analogy, a very good way of putting it. I definitely relate to that. And I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people do with, with getting sick. That's mm-hmm. And having that, that introspection and looking at that is how you get the most out of your illness. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a really it good was a gift. It. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. it was a gift. Absolutely. And, and definitely in the throes of it. I did not think that at the time being on the other side now and, and obviously, and I don't like to say obviously, and where I stand now, I mm-hmm. understand the purpose. Yes. Now I can look back and see the full purpose. I can see the picture of, yes, this led me on this path. When I was seven years old, did I know that this is what I'd be doing with my life? Not a clue. Would I Do I want to be anywhere else? No, I'm sitting exactly where I want to be in this moment in time, having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Will you share uh, where people can read your story in full? Yes. So I have a blog. It's called Kara's dash story.com. So K-A-R-A-S dash story.com. And um, so that's where I've written a lot on there. And I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get myself to get up the courage to keep writing about how I've been healing and all Mm -hmm. of that. But um, yeah, so they can read more there. It's a process and we're allowed to take a break. It is. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I want you guys to remember to Ultima, that electrolyte uh, supplementation that Kara was sharing with us. Dr. Courtney Hunt, is she in Phoenix or Scottsdale? Yep, she's in Scottsdale, but um, so she can practice as a, your physician in Arizona, but she can do genetic protocol testing anywhere across the world. She has clients everywhere. And we want to highlight people like that. We want to highlight the people in the medical field that are exploring these natural modalities of healing. Morotsko Forge, that's what we do. We bring natural healing into an unnatural world. I want you guys also to remember the D-Minder app. I think I've even heard of this before, but any way that we can help ourselves through this practice of optimizing our health and giving ourselves additional tools in our belt. Kara, I did want to ask you one more question. Have you done any type of breath work? I have not. It's something that I'm very interested in, but I have not explored it. Okay. Uh, I'd recommend it. Okay. It's challenging. Yes. I love it and I hate it. It it does good. It does a lot of good for me and it challenges me like nothing else. And even the cold did not challenge me in the same ways that breath work challenges me. And it's been a beautiful experience as I'm making peace with what that brings out. Uh, there is a, there are a lot of people in the Valley that facilitate breath work. One of the experiences I like the most when it comes to breath work is through Satyam Patel. He's a vocal coach here in the Valley. He works out of Mesa and out of Scottsdale, S-A-T-Y-A-M, last name Patel, P-A-T-E-L. It's the Singer's Connections where you can find him. He also holds these beautiful sessions where you do vocal exercises. So you go through the chakras with different vowel sounds and a rhythmic chanting, and then you lie down and you do about 10 to 15 minutes of breath work. Then the last part of the session, you're lying down in Shavasana and he's surrounding you with sound healing and beautiful vocal prayers. It's one of the ways that I have been able to make peace with breath work because it's surrounded by these two other things of the vocal exercises and the sound healing. It's like this whole session of an experience. So if you get to go to a chakra toning with Satyam Patel, I feel like that's a beautiful way to gently step into what breath work is and Kara, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for 
the vision you have of your future, of learning the rules so that you can learn how to break them. Thank That's you. beautiful. Thank you. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to answering your future questions and sharing more stories just like this. So if you know of anyone that has a story like this and wants to share it, please email info at morotzgoforge.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for taking the time to come along this journey of exploration with us today. You can follow us to learn more at www.morozcoforge.com, where we publish journal articles on all of your favorite deliberate cold exposure questions. You can also find us on Instagram at Forge, and you can hear new episodes of the Morozco Method everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, when you can learn to master your breath through the cold, you can learn to master your mind through your life.